Welcome to the Art of Faith podcast. I'm Joshua Kapczynski. I'll be your curator for today. Art of Faith is a podcast about creativity and beauty and art and how that can relate to our faith in Jesus Christ. Today, it is a controversial topic, uh, something that people have been arguing about for a long time, and it is popular at the moment. And today's topic is the art of the Nephilim and the giants, kind of the same thing. So who are, what are the Nephilim and are giants real? And so let me be showing you some art um, throughout history that has been documenting it, maybe, and we'll be talking more about that. Before we jump into the topic, though, this podcast is brought to you by Granite Creek Community Church. So if you're looking for a great church, we are here for you in the community of Claremont. You can also watch online. It is just a, a great small community church, and we would love for you to be a part of it. In addition to our church, we're opening a new wedding venue called Granite Creek Gardens. It's It should be done soon, so I want to encourage you to check us out. If you or a family member is looking to get married sometime soon, uh, it is going to be a beautiful venue, and currently it will be at a great price point. So check out Gar Granite Creek Gardens. And uh, it's also brought to you by me. So if you're looking for an officiant, I will officiate your wedding, um, and I would love to do that. Okay, so just a few of our sponsors and ways that you can help. One other way that you can help this podcast and help the church is just to simply subscribe. We are so close. Granite Creek's uh, YouTube page is so close to hitting a, a watermark, a shed mark, and that will uh, put us into another category. So my, so my tech guy says. So if you could just like and subscribe and follow uh, not only our YouTube channel, but our Facebook page and our Instagram page. We would love to keep you updated, and it will help us uh, get the word out. So if, you, if you're a, a regular, just do us a little favor and subscribe. All right, so all the advertisements out of the way. So let's talk about giants and the Bible, the Nephilim. Controversial because... Uh, we don't know if it's true. So are we talking about myth? Is there some play in the translation of the Bible? And so that's what we're going to be highlighted. So for those of you that don't know, the word Nephilim um, was first mentioned in the Bible in Genesis chapter 6. Uh, let me read you the passage. All right, so in the scripture, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, we get the story of the giants and the Nephilim. It goes like this. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them. Okay, now pay attention to this part. The sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any of them that they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, uh, down to verse 4. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children with them. They were heroes of old, 
men of renown. Okay, so this is the controversy. This is the big mystery. This is what um, this is what Bible scholars argue about. Now, there's there's two major interpretations of the scripture. One is a very academic approach, and that is one that I have held for a very long time. It is the safest. It's the easiest to understand, in my opinion. Um, it discounts any uh, desire or inclination towards uh, mythology and superstitions and, and, and that such. It goes like this. Um, when Cain killed Abel, Abel needed to be replaced, and his replacement was Seth. And scholars, starting with St. Augustine, interpreted this as Seth being in the line of the descendants of God, of Yahweh. So Seth is the promise. He is the hope of the world. And Cain, his descendants, are identified or defined as, ready for this, the daughters of men. So it is a literary way of reading it. It gives an explanation of who the sons of God are. So the sons of God are going to be the good guys, the descendants of Seth. And the daughters of men are going to be the bad girls, the descendants of Cain. And the answer to the problem, the descendants of Seth, the children of God, when they saw how foxy Cain's daughters were, they, they were attracted and they, they fell to temptation. And so that is, that is one definition. That's the safe definition. That's the, that's the non-sexy translation. Now, that idea gets birthed basically by St. Augustine and some other um, theologians over time, and specifically more conservative and more um, academic in nature. Uh, this was what I began to believe when I began to study the scriptures, and this is, this is the version that I adopted in college. Uh, I had... I think I probably first heard this this definition of the sons of God being the descendants of Seth and the daughters of men being the descendants of Cain. I first thought I first heard of this um, interpretation in college from my archaeological professor slash biblical studies professor, Doctor Tappy, who was uh, who got his PhD at Harvard. Uh, you know how you can tell a Harvard man? You can always tell a Harvard man. You just can't tell him much. So he was very knowledgeable. He had an incredible grasp of the scripture. But this would have been his interpretation of these passages. And there's some very smart uh, people out there that believe that. And But again, it is, it's not the sexy version. It just kind of gives you an explanation. Now, the more fantastical version, the more the, the interpretation that challenges us, that might even make you question, like what in the world am I reading? What in the world is going on? Is that a literal translation and an older interpretation? So the 
ancients would have read it and interpreted it in this fashion. Um, the early church would have read and interpreted it in this fashion. And some scholars say that even Jude and Peter interpret it in this fashion. And it is a literal interpretation that there were sons of God, divine beings from heavenly realms that came down to earth. This is the this is pre-flood. This is antediluvian. They came down to earth and they saw the daughters of men, including Seth's descendants, all of mankind, and they interbred with them. So who are these sons of God? Um, in a literal interpretation, the sons of God are called the Elohim. Uh, Elohim uh, is both plural and it is both singular. It depends upon the context, but it means God. It could also mean gods, lowercase g. And then we will, if you've read, if you've read the book of Job, you will see uh, the council of God. Uh, so there is God sitting on his throne, and then he has a council of other gods. Begins to feel very much like Greek mythology, and this is probably begins to make us feel a little uncomfortable. So one of the interpretations from scholars like Michael Heiser, who's no longer with us, but he's with the Lord. Um, I just finished his book, um, The Unseen Realm, which is absolutely amazing, and it's challenging me. And so that's one of the points of this podcast, is that I'm being challenged and I'm considering new new points of view on, on interpretation and on, on scripture. So his interpretation would be that these sons of God are the Elohim, which is actually a literal translation from the Hebrew, it does not mean that it is a, they are the, the, the sons and the descendants of Seth. No, they are, Elohim is, is gods, that, that they would be what we might consider fallen angels. So they are maybe angelic beings or spiritual beings of some hierarchy, some higher hierarchy, and they, they too have rebelled against God's plan. So we see Adam and Eve, we see the fall in the garden, but now we are going to see a fall, not only of Satan, the archangel, one of the Elohim, but in, in addition to him, many others that are going to not only fall, but they're going to fall to earth and they are going to seduce and corrupt God's creation in mankind. And that seems fantastical. And so what we see here in chapter six is that these fallen angels come down to earth. They, they procreate with women and their offspring are what we call the Nephilim or the giants, the heroes or men of renown of old. And this is all pre flood. And then it goes on to say, um, that there, that after the flood, that some of them somehow remained, because um, when Moses is writing this, he says, "In the you know, in those days they were the Nephilim, and then after those days there were the Nephilim." And so, uh, the antediluvian, the pre-flood error 
where we had giants everywhere. We had these Nephilim everywhere. They're the men of renown. But then there, it alludes to maybe that some of them survived the flood. We're not quite sure how they did that. Uh, we maybe maybe some angels came down or some fallen angels came down after the flood and still continued with their stuff. I'm not quite sure. Um, again, this is all kind of fantastical stuff, but that seems to be the case. In my opinion, the honest scholar will allow the text to speak for itself. And I don't I don't read Hebrew. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I, I have the internet, so I looked it up. Um, it is it's pretty clear that what is being communicated in the scripture is that the that there was fallen angels or the Elohim that came to earth and they procreated with women. That seems to be the honest interpretation of the scripture. Um and I would recommend that you follow uh, Michael Heiser's work on this because he is a scholar that is the authority. I'm not. Uh, but he has convinced me that that seems to be the case rather than that previous view that I described earlier that uh, the sons of God are basically the descendants of Seth and daughters of daughters of uh, men are the descendants of Cain. So so I'm kind of I'm kind of a new convert over here. So now I am I'm faced with a dilemma whether this is actually real or are we in the area of mythology or is just is this just purely symbolic? And so I don't know if I if I quite want to answer that question yet, but what I do want to do is that I want to show you some of the art of giants, an art of the Nephilim. It is a popular um, phenomenon in on the internet these days. And so if you want to be brave, if you want to Google Nephilim or Bible giants, uh, you're going to see immediately in your feed, you're going to see pictures like this. Um, so they're finding big giant skulls in, in archaeological digs. Um, it, it seems pretty incredible. And well, it depends on who you talk to, but critics of this will say that these are all photoshopped. And frankly, uh, there are some there are some pictures and of digs of giants that are clearly photoshopped. I mean, um, if you just take a look, you're just like, yeah, you know, if it feels a little weird, then it's probably not fake. It's probably not real. So you know, like this one with this big giant skull. It, it just doesn't look real to me. The dirt doesn't match. The dirt in the middle doesn't match around the walls. And so a lot of these things have been debunked. Um, you know, people, proponents of giants will say that, you know, it's all conspiracy theory. And then in the bottom of the Smithsonian Museum, uh, they've got all kinds of giant skeletons on, you know, that they're hiding from the public. So we're not quite sure what we know is true or not, but I would bet that this picture and this picture they're they're just not true so but we don't know for sure again it all depends on who you talk to i would give a lot of money no i don't have that much money i would love to see one myself i mean not that i have to have proof but i just want to know it's true um you get you get a lot of clicks when you have 
fake photos that seem real. So, so that's part of it. Now, and of course, throughout Scripture, we have uh, mentions of giants um, in addition to this Nephilim that we just described. A few other times throughout Scripture, that word pops up. And if you were a good little boy and girl and you went to Sunday school, you know the most famous story about the giant, the giant Goliath. So David slays the giant Goliath, and it is you know just an incredible scene. Goliath is one of these Philistine heroes. There is... It doesn't say that he's a Nephilim, but if you do a little bit of a little bit of research, um, he's he's a Philistine from Gath, and those people are from the tri or the from the the people of the Anakim, and the Anakim are the descendants of Anak, and Anak is a Nephilim. So you can you can make a connection. It takes a lot of work to to make it i don't feel like it's forcing the text so i think it would be fair to say that goliath and all the other brothers that they killed they are biblically connected to this concept of the nephilim so it, it there is like this breed of tall people so those are biblical sources again there's goliath his brothers there's a uh, bashan the king of og he's another big dude that, that they have to kill. And there seems to be this drive to completely, a drive and a command from God to completely annihilate uh, the descendants of Anak. So it's like they didn't quite get the job done with the flood. And so they have to completely wipe out all of the remnants of these Nephilim. And so that's, uh, that, that would be one way people are trying to describe what is going on here. Now, outside of biblical sources, we do have other representations of what we believe are giants. So some of the early Paleolithic art uh, describes, depicts very large beings in relation to small humans. Uh, We have ancient Samaritan and Assyrian and Babylonian art where the kings and the heroes are always proportionately larger than their subjects. Um, So we talked about the concept of the ancient aliens in the past, um, but this would be a literal, you know, if you were to take these statues and, you know, put them up side by side to the humans, proportionally this is what we're looking at. One of the earliest representations of large humans is from this piece that we're looking at right here which is called the Narmer palette uh, I did a I did some research on this when I was in college and it's a fascinating piece it's a historical piece the uh, palettes uh, or in specifically the Narmer palette uh, is a it's a communication device so it's a it's a way of marking history of telling of stories uh, but it also serves a function and a purpose. Uh, they use it to mash up their makeup for their face. And so um, this piece right here is actually very important. It is. It was made pre-Egyptian dynasty. So this 
This was this was made before the pyramids and before uh, the Sphinx. It's very old, third um, or fourth millennium BC, and it is before there was a pharaoh. And so Narmer is arguably the first pharaoh. And so he's the big guy here. And what is being depicted is that he is larger than life. He, this might be a depiction of a giant. So Narmer might be a giant. Two sides. On one side, we have Narmer with his red helmet on. It's like this pointy domed um, conehead type shaped helmet. And he's got his mace and there's um, you know, a little pallbearer beside him. He's killing another bigger guy, but not quite as big as he is. But the point is that there's smaller, shorter people around him. Uh, and then in the next, on the on the flip side, we've got these really cool dragons with intertwined necks, which is not an Egyptian motif. These are Mesopotamian stylized dragons, super old. And, and where the dragons, where their necks are intertwined, that is where you would mash up your eye makeup. And uh, both men and women did this. And so it serves a practical purpose. Now, symbolically, the intertwining of these two necks is re not only is it serves a function, not only is it artistically cool looking, but it's also symbolically representing the, 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 the unity of northern Egypt with southern Egypt. Uh, the Narmer on the left with the pointy helmet, he is a northern, he has, he's the king of the north. And on the south, we see Narmer with a different type of headdress, which is the king of the south. And eventually, they're going to put those two helmets together for the United Kingdom. So that quite hasn't happened yet, but it's about to happen. And at the top of the relief... Again, we see Narmer. Uh, we know it's Narmer because his cartouche, this weird little catfish and that chisel thing, that says that his name is Narmer. And he's got he's got a different helmet on, and he's got his pallbearers, and he's got all these people that he's defeated and chopped their heads off. So he is, you know, he's the big dude, and he's ginormous. Is he a giant, or is just just this saying that, you know, the king's a big guy? It's up, to, it's up to debate. It's up for interpretation. This is an Assyrian relief. And you see these huge women and huge guy. And then down at the bottom, you see a little tiny human offering his offerings and sacrifices to these godlike giants. So this one is this one's probably around... Uh, six or seven hundred AD or BC and Assyrian. So this concept of giants it was a part of that culture as well. This is um, Naram Sin. He is considered to be the first uh, emperor or the first person to run an empire. And it is a victory relief. And clearly he is bigger and badder than everybody else. And so is he a giant or is just is this just the artist's way of saying uh, he's big and bad and he's, he can he can beat you up? Not quite sure. Uh, East Asia, there are depictions of giants. You know, these gods are demigods. 
and their subjects are always smaller and human-like. Uh, medieval art depicts giants, so we've got giants and Celtic cultures from Ireland, Scotland, Germany, uh, all of the fifi fofum giant stories. Uh, are they real or is it just children's tales? Why did why did they um, why do they tell these stories? There seems to be a common thread throughout all cultures that there were giants, much like there is a common uh, flood myth story for all the different cultures as well. So are they real or are they not? And then a little bit closer to our time, this is only 200 years ago. This is the beginning of the foundation of our country. Uh, it depicts some tall guys and some shorter guys. I'm not quite sure how this tall guy is. But it kind of gives you some normal height guys and some other guys that are a lot taller. So what is the truth? And, and what are we to take of it? And how, is that, and how is that going to inform our faith? So let's just go back for a second, back to the antediluvian period. So the, the pre-flood period when God is looking out and his fallen angels have come down and have interbreed and they're messing up his creation with the second born of his children, which is us. And he is like, what, what is going on? And so he, he has to, you know, he has to wipe it out because it's just, it's an abomination of what, what is going on. And so that's one of the ideas. And so when we are thinking about giants in modern day time, how does that, how does that inform our faith? How does how are we to, uh, how are we to, to to take it? Is it is it real? Um, and then are there giants today? So my wife is running a very popular Bible study right now at Granite Creek Community Church called the Blurry Bible Study, and there is a another extremely popular podcast on the subject called Blurry Creatures, and they run the whole spectrum of the Nephilim, of giants, of Bigfoot, and they're even making the connections to aliens. So I was trying to get my wife to join me on this podcast so that we, because we had, this is what we talk about. So these are the, the, the discussions that we're having, and I'm kind of conceding that, yeah, the way that the Bible is interpreting this situation seems to be like, like they're, yeah, they're talking about giants. And so um, it, it, it's putting us in a position to make some choices on whether we believe this as fact or, it, or do we believe it as myth. So the problem, so I, I'm, I, I'm personally inclined not to think that, there, that angels, fallen angels came down and procreated with, with, with women because that messes with my, my rational mindset because I've always had this belief that angels and demons are spiritual beings, non-corporeal, meaning that they don't have bodies and they don't have the means to reproduce. And I could probably, I could argue some uh, scriptural support that there was a set number of angelic beings that were created and a third of those fell. So 
can angels reproduce? I'm not there yet, so I don't necessarily think that they can. Can angels reproduce with humans? I'm not there yet either. It makes me feel very uncomfortable to process that and try to think about that. So my alternative right now, currently, where I'm at right now, is that, okay, maybe this is just um, a literary device. Maybe this is just um, a mythology of sorts. I'm not saying that it, the Bible is wrong and the Bible is inerrant. The Bible is without, you know, without flaw. But what it maybe what it's trying to teach us is that God can't tolerate abominations. He can't tolerate sin, and so he's got to he's got to he's got to be a just God and wipe out the evil. And so, so maybe that's what it's saying. So maybe this is just a symbolic story about uh, the problems of corruption and the problems of evil. So the, if we put the Nephilim into a mythological category, then that begs the question, well, can we do the same with Noah and the ark? Can we do the same with Adam and Eve? Are they real? Are they figurative? Is it mythology? So... Uh, once we go down that path, then it becomes a slippery slope. And then we could ask that and maybe argue that for every character in the Bible. And I don't feel comfortable doing that either. So, um, but I think it's a mystery. And I think that, that we need to be okay with living with mystery and living with, you know, a little bit of curiosity and a little bit of tension here. So, um, do I know what the truth is? Not completely. I, I, I wish I did. I wish that was a definitive answer. But again, the scripture seems to be saying like this actually happened. And so um, I don't believe that we should live in a state of fear on this. Um, one of the one of the art, one of the conversations that Mako and her friends at the Blurry Bible Study have is that um, is Bigfoot a Nephilim? And it's just kind of interesting how we really can't catch one. So with all of our modern technology and our, our ability to track and all of the tools that we have, you know, we can catch every other animal on the planet. But for some reason, that Bigfoot is elusive. We can't catch Bigfoot. And, uh, you know, there's been reports of viewing, of seeing giants and seeing modern day giants on top of mountains and things like that, but we just, we just can't catch them. And so and I'm not saying this is false, but the explanation is, is that, well, they're not, they are physical beings, but they're also spiritual beings. And so they can come in and out of our reality, which is a, well, that's just fantastical, isn't it? All right. I think I probably should wrap her up here. So thank you so much for watching or listening to the Art of Faith podcast on the art of the Nephilim and the giants. Um, are they real? Are they not? It doesn't, it does matter. It's important. But what's really important is that your faith in, in Jesus Christ is solid and that cannot be defeated and that, that can't be argued. I'll wrap it up there. Obviously, I'm fighting a cold, and so um, we'll. I'll bring my wife back, and we'll we'll talk more about this in the future. Thanks again for watching or listening to Art of Faith podcast. Please subscribe. See you next time. Peace.